tell, uh, yeah, good morning, good to see you. I feel like maybe I should start with a little bit of an explanation. You might have noticed that my wife is up here uh, with her arm in a sling, and uh, that was because she had an accident a little over a week ago, almost two weeks ago now, uh, teaching a Bible story to children. Uh, uh, she, she tripped over the cardboard boat that was part of the lesson and uh, caught herself with her arm and, and broke her arm, and so, um, so we've been managing uh, that a little bit. I've done a few ponytails, and I'm not very good at that, but it, you know, you use your arms, both arms, for a lot of things. And I kind of wanted to save this, so I might find some video of this, but um, the funniest thing, uh, we've kind of been able to laugh about it, the funniest part of it uh, is that she, she teaches kids, and she does music time with kids, and they do motions, and so you to use both hands to do that. So she tells the kids, the two-year-olds, the three-year-olds, four-year-olds of our ELC, hey, use both hands, even though I can use only one, and they can't do it. <laughs> so they're all praising God, one-armed. <laughs> doing this deal said something about how we model life together and how we see each other and 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 um, there's something in that I think as we talk about what it means to be uh, a church that commits to one another we are renewing our vows at the beginning of the year uh, this year we are looking at you know the for better or for worse for richer for poorer in sickness and health of our life together and looking at those particular membership vows, the covenant that we make to, together uh, to form this new thing in the world that will be uh, loyal to the church and do all in our power to uphold its ministries, strengthen its ministries through our prayers and our presence and our gifts and our service and witness. So we've talked about prayers. We've talked about presence. You can go back and look online for those. Today we're going to talk about how it how, what it looks like to bring our gifts and what it means to covenant to offer up all of our gifts together in this thing that is our life together. So by gifts, we mean contributing physical and spiritual and financial resources. So right from the beginning, when I talk about gifts or giving, it's the whole thing, time and talent and treasure and how it all fits in together to be offered up to God and to the church's mission in a way that keeps us connected to where all those things actually come from and how we're a part of it. By gifts, we mean offering up our very best to God and not the leftovers and, uh, and seeing how that changes the way we, we see our relationship to God and each other by bringing our very best to this equation, that call up every time. I was trying to think of a metaphor for that, and I thought, you know, really the best metaphor for, for that kind of bringing our best to God is a church potluck, because everybody brings their best thing, right? And if, they, if, if everybody does that, then you know that Miss Lois is going to bring her chocolate pies, and Miss Carol is going to bring her coconut cream pie, and you can't wait to get to the church because there's, you know what's coming, you know, you know, you kind of know who's everybody's, what everybody's specialty is, and then it becomes something beautiful, like more than the sum of the parts. That is a metaphor for our giving in every way. You bring your best thing, and somehow it becomes more than the parts. It's special. By giving, we mean actually reorienting our lives to encounter the world the way God did, to see that really part of God's saving work in us to see ourselves, Martha said this, to, 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 to see ourselves the way God sees us, till we, to, to just keep at it until our identity is, is clear. And our identity is that we're givers. That, and, and, and every message around you tells you something else, that you're a consumer. 
envisioned people eventually yelling at the TV when they're trying to sell you something and saying, no, I'm not a consumer, I'm a giver. This is who I really am. I doubt you'll do that, and if you do, your family will probably look at you crazy if you do. But by vowing to offer our gifts, we mean something more than just giving our money. What we mean is reorienting our lives so that generosity becomes the goal. The generosity becomes the means by which we are transformed. The generosity becomes the means by which we are called up and then swept into something beautiful and wonderful. And having said that, I know that when we talk about gifts, and, and especially when we talk about money, that can be a little bit awkward. And that's because some of us have had bad experiences. You've sat in that seat, and you've been held hostage for 30 minutes as the preacher tells you that you need to give, you're commanded by God to give 10% of your income to the church, and if you don't, then you're stealing from God, that you don't really love him anyway, and we don't know why you're here. So get to it, pass the offering plate. That's been the approach for some of us. And so I want to say out from, from the beginning, I have never and will never use guilt or that kind of motivation to talk about th- this. This is, this is just not how we think. My brother-in-law asked me once, uh, he said, uh, my dad goes to a church where they tell you you have to be, you have to give 10% of your income to go to that church and that seems crazy and that it's a requirement is that the way you think about it and i said i just that's just not how we think about this this is a journey in generosity this is a get to not a have to thing and on the flip side it's not just the the bag church baggage but really our our overall baggage with money that some of us have such a messed up relationship with money that we think it is not a spiritual topic but Jesus talked about it a lot, and so when we talk about giving, we're gonna, it does include money. It, it's more than that, but it is also that, and that'll be the dynamic as, as we talk today, as we wonder why this is such an important topic for Jesus and for, for us and for Paul, as we're going to see. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. There is something about our resources that tie to every other part of our life, and you know, you can say you value one thing, but that when it, the rubber meets the road, it, it shows itself. And that's just the way of things. And that also becomes an opportunity to live into the things that we truly value, that we truly care about. There is not a person among us that says, you know, my favorite check I write, or from, from, my favorite you know, click I make on the, the, the screen every month is to the credit card company. Nobody is so excited that they get to pay their debt. And yet we all find ourselves caught up in some kind of weird, messed up relationship with resources. And so hopefully today we see in our vows to one another the opportunity to live out something different as it comes to the very gifts, the resources that God has given into our hands, which does include treasure, but it also includes time and our talent and how that becomes a potluck of something beautiful. The Apostle Paul helps us see how giving is more of an all-encompassing heart transformation. And in 2 Corinthians, he is writing, and and actually two chapters, 8 and 9, if you want to go and kind of go into maybe an extended look at how he talks about giving in the early church. He's uh, trying to take up an offering in uh, in Corinth and around the, the, the ancient world for the church back in Jerusalem. And that dynamic is underneath everything. There is a need in Jerusalem. Uh, there's a famine. The mother church is struggling. And now the diaspora church, the extended church, the growing church, the Gentile church is going, is going to give back uh, to resource them. Now, Paul uh, has come to Corinth 
before. In fact, uh, he planted the church, and uh, his, it was part of his second missionary journey, and he probably came around the spring of 49. This is 49 uh, after Christ, and uh, was there for about a year and a half, and then left, but has these letters that go back and forth between the church there. Now, we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in the Bible. The truth is there were more letters, and we will have no idea ever how many there were. 1 Corinthians may have been the first, or it may not have been. We know 2 Corinthians wasn't the second. That's confusing, right? Uh, but uh, in 2 Corinthians, it talks about the painful exchange that has even happened between Paul and the church in Corinth, and, and that there have been letters going back and forth, and we don't have a copy of that, that painful letter or the painful visit. Uh, but we know out of that that Paul isn't afraid, if you look at 1 Corinthians uh, or 2 Corinthians, that Paul's not afraid to shoot straight with this group of people. He feels like they need it. They're kind of like, uh, they're like Sin City in the, in the ancient world, and they need a lot of guidance, and a lot of stuff's happening, a lot of stuff's going down that needs to be called out. And so he's very direct, and he's not afraid to tell them what they need to do. He's not afraid to tell them what they should stop doing, and that has caused some disruption in their relationship. So when the topic of an offering comes up, you might expect Paul to say, here's the deal. You're supposed to give 10% of, of, of what you get, and this is their custom, and this is what your command is. You're supposed to do it. I'm supposed to tell you the truth if it hurts too bad, and to make that a legalistic thing. And this is where Paul is so frustrating for us, because sometimes he does come across as very commanding and legalistic, and then sometimes he just says something beautiful. And that's the direction he goes in talking to the Corinthians as he describes the opportunity that they have to become generous people. And talking about financial resources, Paul does something surprising. He doesn't command them to give at all. He invites them to see the world through grace-healed eyes built in generosity. Let me put this on the screen. The goal for him, and really the goal as we talk about our, our, our pledge to one another is not the gift itself, but the giver. And if you believe that, it transforms the whole conversation. The gift itself is important, but the giver is more important. Because the transformation that happens as we begin to think of ourselves in this way is the thing. It is how we understand God, who loves so much, the world so much that he gave. This is God's orientation to us. Paul knows there's no way to command or guilt us into the kind of people that we need to be, but he knows that there is a path toward that. And this, I think, is the heart of his message in 2 Corinthians 9-7 in the NIV. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. He is relinquishing his pastoral responsibility. This is not mine to decide. This is not mine to coerce. I don't have to control it. It's, this is yours. You get to decide. Knowing your situation, knowing your circumstances, that's between you and God, and, and, and we'll trust that to you, which is, again, for Paul, I think that's pretty big. And then to do it not reluctantly under, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Remember what I said, the goal is not the gift, but the giver. But even as we've heard that, maybe that shared before, you know, that can be used to manipulate us a little bit. Like, don't give reluctantly, give generously, because God loves a cheerful giver. You want to be a cheerful giver, don't you? That is, that's not his approach at all. His approach is to help us understand the goal again, that this is forming us into a kind of people 
who get to share in blessing after blessing. The voice paraphrases it this way, more blessings than you could ever imagine. Can you imagine that? No, because it's more than you could ever imagine. Taken care of in every way, but also enough to share, which seems almost impossible uh, when you look at the world through a scarcity mindset. Having, having, having enough for you and having enough for share, who doesn't want that? And so this giver-based abundance approach is especially shocking given the reason Paul is talking about the, the, the gift in the first place. He's raising money to send back to a struggling church that are going through famine. The mother church who is struggling and doesn't have enough food. He could have appealed to their sense of humanity and made a compelling heart-filled plea, highlighting the need, put Sarah McLaughlin in the background, in the arms of the angel, fly away. Put a couple pictures of a dog that might get euthanized in front of people, tell them where to give. Boom. Magic. But Paul's focus is not on the need. The focus is not in their need to, the need to receive, but in the need to give. He rises above the specific situation, even though it is actual need. And he goes to the bigger picture, God's generosity. Think of this as God who gives seeds to the sower, the farmer. Where, where does the very seed of their abundance come from? Is an agricultural metaphor that becomes a spiritual one real quick. He puts into their hands the seeds that they get to sow. And then abundance happens. And then there's a harvest. Well, one, you can't really, if you go through life like this, once you get the seed and you hold on to it, it doesn't grow from there. You've got to sow it. And he says, in fact, if you sow that sparingly, you, you reap sparingly. If you sow it abundantly, you reap abundantly. It's just the way the world works. If you go through life holding on to it, it's not going to do you much good. But the question behind all that is, why, does, why do we need to be involved in the first place? If God is providing the seed, why does he need to put it in our hands at all? Why can't he just sow abundantly? himself well there again the goal is not the gift but the giver somehow we get into our hands the opportunity to participate with God in this thing that is very very good and so for that reason, uh, when, I, when I was started in ministry, when, actually when I came to Broadway 15 years ago, uh, you know, Pastor Rick and Sonia Blackford said, we're going we're gonna to talk about money a couple times a year. And uh, the first time I got up for the, for the sermon, I said, we're, we're going to talk, talk about money today. <laughs> I was so nervous about it because, again, we have such a messed up relationship with it. But over time, what I've seen is that generosity is a powerful thing in people's lives, and it really isn't about the gift. It is about the giver, and that is not just talk. And so in verses 10 through 12, we see Paul saying the same thing. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. See how he takes it from an agricultural metaphor to a spiritual one. You will be enriched in every way, and this is a spiritual promise. It is a bedrock promise. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It gets just turned into something. And this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Paul sees this and puts it into a relational context, in a community context. This is a chance not only for us to get our relationship with God right, it's also a way for us to get our relationship with each other right. And that's especially important because there were tensions in the early church. I don't know if this is shocking to you, but they didn't always get along. We never have always gotten along. and We haven't always been able to bring 
our, our worlds together, and that was going on in the ancient church, especially around these two groups of people. The Gentile church, the church in Corinth, the church in Ephesus, the church that uh, had been planted and then was growing, but now involved people who didn't have a Jewish background. And the Jewish background church back in Jerusalem was not so sure about these new folks and where they fit. Think about how diverse and how separate and how culturally and geographically and religiously they really didn't have a lot to stand on. And so when we read the New Testament, Jews and Gentiles comes up all the time. And the reason is because it wasn't going very well. Or the answer to the question hadn't been given yet, is this going to work out together? And so Paul says, hey, guys, here's your chance. Here's an opportunity to give the message back in real terms to these people who are questioning whether you should even be involved in the thing, to give back to them and demonstrate that God's grace is at work in you in powerful ways. And that's why we read in verse 14, because of the extraordinary grace of God at work in you, which he sees, we're going to help other people see it. They will pray for you. And they will long for you. Do you hear what's happening in that? It is the healing of relationships. Here's the thing about, about giving and, uh, and about money. There are three lies that we're all working against. One is that we don't need God. And what giving does is it reminds us that everything that we have comes from, from God's hand. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Like the very air in our lungs, the fact that we're alive, the stuff that we have, it's all God's. The other lie is that we don't need each other, and we're always pushing against that individual thing. And giving just puts us all in it together. We're either going to find our way into this thing that is a, a lesson in abundance and extravagance, or we're going to kind of wither on the vine off by ourselves. So giving is always a chance for us to, to make that stronger connection and to make the kind of community that we were intended to be all along. The third one is, uh, what I've already said, the third lie is that we're consumers. That we'll go through this whole life thinking that we're here to consume, to get, to hoard. And every message around us confirms that, and we get to push against that and say, nope, that's not why I'm here. That's not what it's about. And so here's the thing. Generosity flips our scarcity into opportunity, and then our opportunity into community. Let me say that again. Generosity flips our scarcity into opportunity so that we see opportunities all around us that weren't there before, and then that turns into community. Let me give you an example. A friend of mine, actually a mentor of mine in another state, and I were talking about spiritual things, and um, uh, he started talking about his orientation to giving, and he said, I used to think of this as a thing that you're supposed to do and kind of did the thing, and then at some point it became about generosity for me, and now I think about it differently, and every opportunity around is a chance for me to see how that can play out, how I can be generous and how it can, sh it can change the equation. And recently, uh, he and his wife built a new house, and I've, uh, I've been in that house. Um, They're just finishing it, actually, and it is stunning. It's just, a, it's a beautiful home. What you should know, uh, this is not what he told me, but my sort of um, interpretation of the situation is knowing him is that he's a very particular guy. In fact, he's a, a, a systematic theologian. He's one of my professors, and uh, he is, you know, like you know, somebody who has that brain. It's just every little thing 
has to be right. So can you imagine building a house with somebody like that? Right? Like watching over every nail, making sure, yeah, it's maybe a recipe for disaster, a process by which uh, it would be hell for everybody involved. But generosity has changed his orientation in life over time. So he started the build of his house with two goals. One, to end up with a beautiful home that could be used to help others. And so they invite students to come in. They host people all the time. Their home is a place of hospitality. It's beautiful, but it's opened up and extended. That's why I've been in it. Uh, And that is the underlying goal, not just to have a place for him, but a place for community. And it changes the end, end goal. And he said the second goal was to, in the process of building the house, exhibit generosity so that uh, all along the way it could, could feed into the thing. And so uh, he was around watching over every nail, but instead of saying, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, which he probably did say some, he, he built relationships with his general contractor and his subs and the people involved, the workers in his home, and they got to know each other. And at one point, one of the bids was off. And uh, I can't remember if it was the painter or whatever came to him and said, I said it was this, but inflation is here. And basically, I'm going to do it for what I said, but I'm going to lose money. And my friend said, no, let's renegotiate and let's negotiate up. You've got to make a living here. And then uh, when that played out, he actually looked at it and said he didn't make enough money there. And he, he went to him and to the, to the sub and negotiated again and said, we're going to give you more. You can imagine what that does to somebody, right? Uh, at the end result is an incredible home. When they appraised it, I don't think he would mind me telling you, it appraised for 200000 more than they put into it. And uh, the, this is what that, that one sub said uh, to my friend. He said, if every house I built was like this one, I would love coming to work every day. There's a little bit of like a downer there, right? Because it sounds like maybe he doesn't love coming to work every day. But that's what generosity does. It flips the script, and the whole equation changes, and it impacts people. That same dynamic community is at the heart of our life together as we commit to offering up our gifts and to do so in a way that is about generosity and community. This has played out in our life together so many times. When we started the foundry, uh, there, was not, there wasn't a lot going. Uh, we had a dream. And um, we could have said, you know, but yeah, we need people and resources at Broadway, and so we're going to keep it here. What we did instead was uh, try to find ways to make it happen and whatever it took. And that it meant that some of our giving went to the foundry instead of here. And over time, we cultivated givers to give to the foundry, instead, and, and, and they split it between us and Broadway. And that's been a dynamic for the last 15 years that we've lived into. People get to make, everybody gets to decide in their heart what, what to give and where to give. And, that, you know, there have been times where we wonder if that's going to work out, and it has. Uh, early on, we offered up staff members. They were on Broadway's payroll, but part of their job was the foundry just to get it going. And that helped us have people on the ground. It helped have people who were directing the thing. And those salaries, people in in development, all were Broadway staff who made that happen. And then over time, then we kind of pulled all that back. And as I think in good stewardship, it became self-sustaining and then flourishing. That's the goal, I think, every, every single time. That's the kind of thing, just the kind of thing that we do. But uh, let me remind you, it's not just about giving, it is about all of it. So time, talent, treasure, all of that. So think about something, something much more one-on-one, like when we have a Stephen minister who meets with somebody who's struggling in their life, which is something that happens every week around here. Uh, and uh, they, they are trained, 40 hours of training time to 
actually help and not hurt somebody when they're going through stuff. And uh, they've offered that, maybe that gifting that they can listen and they can care, and that's really important in those moments. But it took somebody training them. So we have a staff person whose job and is paid to, to help people help people. And it just kind of all feeds in together. It does, it takes all of that. And, um, and so what I would say about the generosity journey is maybe something that I would say just firsthand, that I'm so grateful to be a part of that with you. And one of the things that I, I, I think about some is like having raised my kids here, uh, you know, there is a thing uh, with preacher's kids. I don't, maybe you haven't heard it, you know, like, a, you know, I think it's almost like a byword, like oh, preacher's kids. Uh, and my kids are not perfect by any means. Uh, and they have not always uh, had any trouble throwing things in our face about, you know, how we've raised them and how we could have done it better. <laughs> but for the most part, they haven't tr- thrown the church in our face. Having come here 15, almost 16 years ago, wanting to raise our kids in a place where they could be taught and shaped the way your kids are. Um, it's, it's happening. It's happened. And, of course, they're not perfect. But um, there's a connection between your generosity and who they've become. You've let them be who they are, for one thing. But uh, we've tried to help make that connection with them at times. And there was a moment when... Uh, we were chasing Olympic trials with my son Luke, and we were traveling all ar- around the countryside. And I kind of looked at this as I grew up on a dirt road. I went to college on a Pell Grant, and here we are chasing Olympic dreams, uh, and and we're able to do it. And um, I, it wasn't the trials themselves; it was one of the meets before that, uh, and, and we had to li- literally travel around the country. And I set Luke down, and I said, "I just want to make a connection here, buddy." Not everybody gets to do this, right? And this for you was not a given. And everything that we have is a gift from somebody else. Like, my whole salary is given out of somebody's generosity, and I just don't, I don't want you to forget that. And um, I want you to be thankful. When Jenny and I got married uh, 25 years ago, uh, we were young. We got married very young. Uh, We were 20. And um, the reason why we thought it would work is because I had gotten a job at a church. And the church was going to give me a salary, which was not very much, but it, w- it was un- kind of enough to live on. But they were going to give us a house. What else do you need? We could live on love, right? <laughs> um, and, um, and so, I don't know, by God's grace, um, we, we knew that we needed to start out giving. And so we said it the beginning of our life together that we would give 10% of our income. We didn't have, it was easy in a sense because we didn't have that much anyway. Uh, so uh, we started tithing. And the way I think of tithing is sort of like training wheels for generosity. It gives you a structure. And maybe you start with 1% and then build to 10. I, you know, that's pro- proportional giving is, is this, is a training wheel to get us to the generosity thing. So we, we started in our married life together that we would give 10%. And over 25 years, I would not give anything for that journey. That's just my witness. I'm telling you this not for any other reason than to to tell you that this is, like, woven into how I think about things. And uh, last year, we were able to give basically to the church what that first church gave to us in, in my whole salary when we started. And that has given a consistency and an integrity to what I do here because it, it helps it stay on the ground and make it real for me. And, um, you know, 
that among other things like writing notes to thank you for giving, it's important for me so that as a giver, I can be shaped so that it's never about the gift, but it's about the giver. And I just want that for all of us. I want us to do cool stuff together and there will always be need, but you will never hear us talk about how we need to fix the furnace or fix the budget for the most part. We're gonna talk about the need to give and then explore generosity together. And I think if we're doing that, each of us deciding in our heart what we can give, we become a part of something far more than we could have imagined, more dynamic together. So I wanna thank those of you who are on that journey. I wanna invite those of you who need to join that journey, but it's for your sake as much as anything that you do because this is who we're becoming together. I wanna share a story, and we're gonna do that in the next couple weeks of people who have invested their life here. And uh, this is Evan Harris on video. He's gonna talk about giving at the very end you'll hear, but mostly what I want you to hear is how he has invested his life in this place and how it's shaped who he has, he has become. I especially think this is far, for young adults because I was Evan's pastor back at Greenwood back in the day, and we talked about these things, and I've seen this play out in people's lives, uh, especially for young adults, and sort of like Jenny and me, if you start it and build from there, it makes it easier than having to go in later. Uh, but, but what you're going to hear in his, his story is how this place has shaped him through, for better or for worse, and the, the tough times, and the losses, and the good things along the way, and uh, how that has helped him become who he is. Let's watch together. My name is Evan Harris. I go to the Broadway Greenwood campus, typically the 1030 service. When we were in college, my wife Brittany and I, when we were in college, we were looking for a church home towards the end of our college years. We landed at Broadway's Melrose campus, enjoyed it, loved Pastor Rick. We joined a growth group, made great friends with them, realized pretty quickly that half the growth group lived in our neighborhood so it was easy to form relationships, but all of them went to Greenwood. But after multiple visits, we did fall in love with the church and the community and the family there, and we've been there ever since. My girls' best friends are the girls that they're growing up with at Broadway, which is pretty fun. Obviously, some of my best relationships that I have in Bowling Green now are stem stem all the way back to that first growth group that Brittany and I joined. Currently, the only kind of small group that I maintain through Broadway is my men's group that I was originally invited to by Pastor Wayne. And I've been in that for, gosh, four years now, maybe. And that's the, the point in my week that I look forward to. And it's a good reset for me in the week when we go on holiday or have time off, it's such a refreshing time to get back in there with my boys. Yeah, we go to we go on a trip now every January. We call it Manuary. And we go to Gatlinburg and we do it all. We have time to share. We have time to hike. I serve as a welcome person and greeter and communion and all the stuff on Sunday mornings at Miller or Greenwood. I've served on Staff Parish Relations Committee 
and currently serve on the finance committee. I enjoy serving in those roles because I get to see behind the door to how the church operates, how the staff operates, what the staff needs, how it thrives, how it connects different congregation components together and connects people together without us really knowing it. I was lucky enough to be one of the people that interviewed Pastor Wayne because I was on Staff Parish at the time. And one of the things that I wrote down on my notes in that interview, I circled it and underlined it, was Wayne is relatable. And that's something that held true through my entire time with him. He taught me that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to question. It's okay to not understand. He was a living example of showing love to people. He's the one that taught me what grace is um, and that grace is sufficient. He and Melinda became family. Wayne was obviously a pastor, but he was a friend and became a brother. Um, I learned a lot from him and he and Melinda became family members as they were grandparents to my girls on grandparents day, going to the school and eating lunch with them when my family's not in town. There was one Christmas where we didn't have family in town and Wayne, Melinda and Wayne's father-in-law came over on Christmas morning and hung out with us. And that, those are times that I will forever cherish. That was one of the toughest things about losing Megan is that the writing was on the wall that she was going to be the next woman up that Seth Parrish voted on for Megan to be going up for license, went up for motion. I immediately said motion and Beth Tapscott says second. And we got to send a nice selfie to her, a picture to her later. That was an exciting time. And that was special because we were the two people that got to show the rest of the committee at the time how much we backed her. We live with a lot of loss and especially at Greenwood, losing three staff members in just a couple of years. Um, we always talk about and repeat the words, we can do hard things. And what I've learned the most going through the loss of people, um, through a pandemic, a natural disaster in our town is that I never do hard things alone, that we do it as a community, we do it as a congregation. I learned a lot through my men's group that a lot of the times I'm dealing with something, whether it be pressure or struggles just in life in general, there's always somebody that I know that is going through the exact same things with me. So that's what I've appreciated the most over the past few years is that as I walk the hard times, I'm going through that with other people. When I go through the high times and the praising times, I'm doing that with other people too. There's so many ways to give as a congregation member or as just a community member and having the fortunate um, or having the fortune to be a congregation member, but also to have served and serve on committees that see the behind the scenes, the inner workings of the church. It's pretty evident that the time and the talents and the treasures that people give to Broadway only helps Broadway grow. I feel pretty confident in saying that 
what we give to the church, we get back tenfold. And the church wouldn't be as successful as it is in giving back out to the community if it wasn't from the giving of our congregation. 